Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Hello, I'm Sarah Smith, proud sponsor of Dumpty Dum. If you want to polish up your Albion, give your optics a wipe, or even mop up after your ferrets, Sarah Smith cloths are eco-friendly, reusable and washable. And, you know, a bit posh. Sarah Smith, available from Sainsbury's for the posher washer. Proud sponsors of Dumpty Dum. at Dumb Tea Dumb. This is Allison tweeting his cheers. I'm sponsoring this, the second of my two sponsored podcasts. In aid of the half marathon I ran yesterday, I did it and oh my God, guys, my legs. <laughs> I got home and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to sleep for six or seven hours and get up and have dinner and sleep some more. Um, it went well. It went really well. It was a big run. There were a lot of people, I think maybe 1,200 runners took part um and it was very british in the sense that you got to the end and then you got you finished your half marathon and you got a medal and you got a free t-shirt and you got a free can of beer free can of london pride to drink at 11:30 in the morning on an empty stomach so that was very english um i had a great time i really enjoyed it and now my feelings are split between oh my god i can't believe i did that to myself and when can i do it again <laughs> um I have had such a wonderful response from the Dumpty Dum community, and I want to thank in particular the following people who have donated already. Anonymous, fellow Dumpty Dumber, Candida Beeching, Auntie Jean, Jennifer Shanks, and Kat Brown, who all phoned in or, um, or donated to me at my um, fundraising page, and their donations in total, plus gift aid, have raised over 100 pounds already. And that's just six of you. That's terrific. Thank you so much for that. Um, I've passed my fundraising goal, but we're still taking donations. If any of you feel like you uh, forgot about giving last week and now maybe you want to give again, please do. You can do this by going to my fundraising page, which is at uk.virginmoneygiving.com slash Siegenthaler, which is spelled S-I-E-G-E-N-T-H-A-L-E-R. 
Uh, or you can pop me a DM on Twitter, which is Chia's, uh, and we can set up an alternative method of giving if you wish. Um, so thank you so much for all your support. People have said really nice things. And, um, yeah, keep donating. I'm going to keep running. Um, and thank you very much for all your support. Chia's out. <laughs> This is Dum Dum the show about the reality docudrama that sent on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the minimalist farm shop that is Royfield Brown, and with me are the rustic wreck that is Lucy Freeman. And with us this week we have Archer's fan and Telegraph journalist. It's Cat uh, Brown. Hello. And the last part of our Bridge Farm Organics is you. Now today's Dum Dum comes to you courtesy of a parakeet that has got internet fame. If I had one person, I had maybe six. <laughs> Tell me the dum de dumber of the week. Here it is. Here's the link. Yes, please stop sending me the link of this fucking parakeet. <laughs> I think I sent it to you a good four times, didn't I? I got a bit overexcited. <laughs> but to be fair, this parakeet did have a wonderful talent. It knows how to whistle to the theme tune of the archers. Clever birdie. Um, can I? Can I? Sorry, I know I'm I'm going off immediately. But mm. um, can I? My, one of my favourite stories, and it's true, is a friend of mine adopted a rescue parakeet uh, that had been <laughs> it, the the, um, the, uh, the 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 owners had uh, split up, and mm. uh, no, none of them wanted this damn parrot. So so she ended up with it. But they'd had a very very acrimonious divorce, and every mm. time the door banged. The parrot went, is that you, Brian? Are you going out again? <laughs> it used to say these really sad... No, it used to say these... It was tr- It was sort of... Um, it, the, the, the sounds were like cues for it to, mm. to make its noise. And it would say, um, is that you, Brian? Are you going out again? Are you seeing her, Brian? And things like oh, this. Oh, things. And she had to teach it some more cheerful phrases because she said it was so depressing, this thing sitting in the corner. <laughs> Like a little <laughs> relate cancer. I'm so miserable, Brian. Why don't you talk to me, Brian? <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. Right. Um, <laughs> if there are any other owners of parakeets <laughs> and uh, you want to uh, teach your parakeet uh, how to sing along to the theme tune of Dum Dum, um, why don't you send that in? Or, Lucy, you could remind our listeners, if they don't have a parakeet, and they want to win the accolade of Dumb Dumber of the Week, how to do that. So why don't you tell us how our listeners can do that if they don't have a parakeet, Lucy? Yes, if you or any of your pets <laughs> would like to sing us a Dumpty Dum. Thanks, Royfield. Uh, give us... torturous. <laughs> Shut your face. Give us a plot prediction or bail out your brother-in-law. Ring us on 02030313105 or leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Thanks to lovely Shambridges for her amazing voices, to Cosmo for his podcast roundups and to Sarah Smith for sponsoring us. Uh, and to Derek for the load in the back bedroom. Derek has cheered up. He was a bit fed up earlier. He'd seen a picture of uh, Milena. Uh, she was out it was on Facebook. Uh, her companion was six foot two, massive muscles, flowing beard, but it turned out to be her best friend Ursula from the Russian shot put team. You know, you're living in the past, Lucy. I know. That was very too Ron. <laughs> too Ronnie's, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it, it was very kind of pre kind of Boris Yeltsin. Like we're still living in, the, in the, you know, the world incredibly pre-Putin and the Soviet Union was still in place. Have you seen the women's shot put team? Royf in Russia. But all those Russian athletes all look kind of like 
blonde and Amazonian, just like. Would you like me to send you a picture? <laughs> oh, okay. Are they still giving them steroids <laughs> yes, they for breakfast? Are. Yes, are they? they are. Yes. Oh, yes, okay. Yes, All they're right. They're bench pressing well, Volvo's on pictures, the picture. There. <laughs> for reference purposes, purely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right now. On the show this week, we have calls from Paul Room. Oh, I love me a bit of Paul Room. Paul Room, who's annoyed by Rob's mansplaining. Mrs. Bajant, who's drifting off. Lady Garth Garth, who's worried about Henry. Mary Not Contrary, who thinks that John is getting a little too close. Artie Jean. Oh, love me some Artie Jean too. Oh, you know what? What? Loose. We've got yes. all the we've got all the lovely ones back, haven't we? I know. Don't say that. That means all the ones that didn't ring in, we don't think they're lovely ones. We do think you're lovely ones. No, but you know what that Mrs. Have Bajan, you noticed, by the getting way? A bit, getting a bit fed up of her. Have, right. you, have you noticed? <laughs> soon. As, soon, as soon as I incorporate people into um, Lucy's b- uh, b- band of merry men or whatever they're called. You've only got one. They never ring in again. That man that I said had a lovely voice disappeared. Someone else rang in. I said, oh, he sounds interesting. Whoosh, gone. Honestly, I'm the kiss of death. He's just a bit too full on, Lucy. I am, I know. That's, that's what it is. That's well, why don't is. they mind you recruiting them into their you know, into your little um, band of lovely girls. And I try the same thing. I'm, 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 I'm knocking on a locked door, aren't I? There <sighs> you go. Cat. Yeah. Yes. Why do you think I can retain my, my fans and followers and Lucy can't? Does the hit, hit her with some home truths? <laughs> I had absolutely no idea that Lucy was in any danger of losing her fans. I mean, I'm, you can't see this because obviously we haven't got our webcams up. Mm. I'm sitting here in a Lucy V. Freeman placard zone. <laughs> <laughs> my my noisemaker, which just goes ah! perfectly in a much better approximation of Lucy's laugh. I'm surrounded by the tea towels that I have knitted specially with Lucy's Skype avatar on them. So as lo- basically as long as as long as I live, um, we will all believe in Lucy V. Freeman and not be it. I like I like her. Can she come back? Podcast. Can, yeah. Good. God, this is going to be a very torturous and long and boring interview. It's going to be a love in between you. So you're wearing your Lucy B. Freeman tabard. Uh, oh, yes. Um, in, in, in the best, Paisley. <laughs> the chartreuse and magenta for that perfect. <laughs> goes really well with the redhead colour. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? It's my job to keep this show on track. And we're just going to keep it strictly speaking to the archers. Okay. Right. No Lucy Freeman loving chat. No right. Marvel so, chat. Uh, no, oh, gosh, no. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we will have the odd little. It, listen, Lucy, stop it. What? Mary, not contrary, who thinks that Johnny's getting too close. Auntie G, I've done that. Witherspoon. There you go. I got onto Witherspoon. Witherspoon and Angus Haggis, who's whining. Goddess Diva, who's had her credulity stretched. Yokel Bear, who's annoyed Dylan Nels. But first, before all that, Let's hear about Lucy V. Freeman, I Can't Keep a Man, and her week (laughs) in Ambridge. This week in Ambridge was brought to you by the phrase, Ambridge, without the blank, it's unthinkable. We've had Ambridge without the bull, the green, the shop. The fate, the village hall, all of them unthinkable. It is now written into the Archer's Code of Conduct that this phrase must appear once a week. As the entire village seems to be dead set on imploding at the moment, they'll be reduced to saying things like, Ambridge without that telegraph pole? It's unthinkable. 
Lindy Bottom went to the opera and talked all the way through it, then had the cheek to moan at Eddie for leaving his phone on, and not only that, but to include it in her review that she attributed to Dylan's snot. This mortified poor Clary Love. Well, serves the working classes right for thinking they could understand or enjoy opera. Ha 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 ha. In other nose news, Auntie Cardboard threatened to ram a dozen Arancini <laughs> up Jimmus's nose if he corrected her Italian again. He was being unbearably pompous, and I admired Cardboard's restraint. Can this please be the end of this Italian bolognese? Heather Pep's got drips in the attic. I'm not sure if that's a euphemism for senility. <laughs> Water on the brain. All you need is a tap on the head. Boom, boom. Who, in their right mind, drops wine off first to breathe? You either bring it yourself or decant it as soon as you arrive, don't you? Shula calls her Jolene. Linda calls her Jolene. And Kenton calls her... Jolene, whatever she's called, finally fessed up to the boomerang archers assembled in the kitchen like the Borgers to create a feast that would shake Ambridge to its core, that the ball had hit the skids more dramatically than Usain Bolt being bowled over by a cameraman on a Segway. And good old David, with the well-meaning idiocy that got him in this mess in the first place, is the very person to canter to Kenton's rescue like Sir Galahad on a heifer, waving a cheque and a patronising smile. Never one to avoid mixing a metaphor, Susan pulled no punches, kicked up a fuss and called Hazel a morally bankrupt vulture with a scratch card, which will utterly baffle anyone reading her letter to the Borchester Echo. The flower and produce show is going to struggle, what with most of the village being underwater for six months. There are going to be many entries in the rice category, though. Elizabeth wandered the grounds of Lower Loxley inspecting the litter. All she found was a tub of Waitrose guacamole and a book called How to Speak Italian Like What They Do, belonging to Lindy Bottom. In other news, my hearing is going. I distinctly heard Elizabeth say to Shula, I suppose you have to shit off now. It turned out to be <laughs> shoot off, I presume, but I thought how refreshing it was that Elizabeth had resisted the temptation thus far to tell Shula to shit off. I also clearly missed the point where Rob was offered the role of farm shop renovation project manager. The plans for the clinically sterile farm shop have arrived. Tichinob persuaded Helen that when she said, no, I like the rural style, actually meant, no, I agree with you, Rob. Pip has decided to salvage her conscience at boomeranging back to Brooker's by becoming farmer of the year. Build a road? No problem. I'll do that before breakfast on Tuesday. I'll hire a roller. In fact, I'll just headbutt the rocks into gravel. Should be easy enough, Dad. Adam held the farewell do for the pickers. Adam described one of them as a reliable hand. <clears throat> David extended the role of friendship to, to sorry David extended the hand of friendship to Kenton and Jolene by offering them 26,000 pounds in used notes with which to prop up the foundations of the bull Kenton inevitably took the hand of friendship gave it a Chinese burn and bent David's fingers back shouting in a mature way shove it up your bottom fathead Brian has cunningly avoided investing in Kate's yoga centre. In a pleasing synchronicity, Kate, known throughout Borsetshire as the Herbal Lay, will be getting the money for her crackpot scheme from the Herbal Lay itself in a move that is guaranteed to have Adam frothing with impotent rage once again. And we ended with, Oh, Kenton! by Jolene. I can't take the money, he said. It's humiliating. Much less humiliating to go publicly bankrupt and descend into alcoholism. Still, main thing is, mummy loves you best. The end. As much better than last week, Lucy. Thank you. I, yeah, I, 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 you really tightened things up yeah, this week. Yeah, mm. well, I don't like to let you down, Roy. Mm. I think you really raised your game because you have a special guest with us. I did, especially mm. as, as she's, she's um, 
she's what's the word? She's a superhero. No, she's a superhero, isn't she? In training. No, she is a journalist from the Telegraph who looks somewhat like one of my favourite heroines, Jean Grey. And she's really into the X-Men. Introduce yourself. Kat, who are you? Hello, I'm Kat Brown and I am actually sitting at home in my bedroom with the fourth member of the podcast this week who is also Kat Brown but is actually a cat called Ambridge and uh, hopefully she's going to behave herself but unfortunately I think it's highly unlikely because she loathes Pip more than anybody that I've ever met. Um, <laughs> be some Pip chat this week. So that Pip chat. Um, just, be, just before I zone out and you have your love in with Lucy, right, can you please explain to me how you know that your Moggy hates Pip? I think it's probably because she tends to listen. I, I listen to the podcast rather than live. And um, it tends to be just before I'm going to bed. And the cat tends to have um, decided that the bed is the best place to sleep. Mm. And so I tend to involuntarily scream every single time. <laughs> yeah. And at which point the cat's eyes flash dangerously, which I have taken to assume that she is planning to go off and commit some uh, uh, docudrama murders. Mm. So you're not your is Pip your 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 nemesis? Pip's your least favourite character. Well, I think that that's sort of on a rolling rotation as befits all Archer's listeners, really. Who else um, is on your list then? Well, Kathy, mercifully, we haven't heard of for, for absolutely <laughs> ages, actually, have we? No. But she was she was pretty much an equal number one with Helen uh, for absolutely years. Just oh, just so irritating. And um, but it's been Charlie Thomas for absolutely ages. I think he's. He's just such a, a weird character. Mm. Um, I think his relationship with with Adam is just so bizarrely unbelievable because it's it's almost as though everybody's forgot that Charlie was just such an awful, passive aggressive, evil evil person really for so long and treating Adam so badly. So the idea that they're like besties who go off to the pub for lunch and exchange soulful glances is absolutely rubbish. I mean, if they'd just had a shag and got it over with, fair enough, but not this. Mm. He's got he's got very bad manners and he speaks in this weird, robotic, unreal manner. And he seems to expect everybody to just get on with it. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed that he didn't sort of break out his robotic guns and kill Rob during that exchange when <laughs> Rob threw his toys out of the pram and his job as well. But and, that's uh, why he's talking about, you know, my enemy's enemy is my friend kind of thing. It's because <laughs> people loathe um, Charlie's actually coming like rare and refreshing fruit after Rob, isn't he? Because he's the only one that actually has stuck to his guns and has loathed Rob from beginning to end and hasn't been taken in by him. Everyone's kind of thinking, oh, at Charlie's not too bad, actually. <laughs> I've always had a soft spot for old Charlie. Yes, exactly. Well, I think we're so desperate to have somebody who yeah. can see Bob for the amazing and brilliantly performed uh, pantomime yeah. that he is. I mean, he's absolutely splendidly acted. But I mean, one of the reasons I, I don't have a soft spot for Rob and I would quite happily push him off a cliff if I could. But I do like the fact that he has a really clear identifiable voice yes um, no I, I think i know this is a theme that has been running through the podcast and and through the hashtags for absolutely you know months now but oh god i'm just so bored of of people being hired who have no distinctive voice whatsoever all the boys sounding the same yeah the girls and the new girls not really having maybe the most distinctive tones um but it is a little bit midwitch cookies and yeah. uh, rob and all his dastardliness is a very welcome break there um, when did how long have you been listening? When did you first start? Um, my dad is a very keen listener, except he's a devoted listener to the uh, to the omnibus edition. Uh, right. So 
generally whenever I go and see him, I'm like, oh my God, dad, what's been going, you know, what's happening this week? And he's like, no, I am weak. No. Um, so I sort of listened to it a bit in the in the car when I was a teenager, but I really got into it um, when I was doing my university finals and just having a, a series of obligatory university finals related meltdowns. And it was 2004 and it was, I started listening during the sort of burgeoning swell of um, uh, Brian and Siobhan's affair. Ah. The most fantastic time to start listening. Um, all of the intrigue behind the scenes and then just all of the fallout as everybody found out about it. And then of course, and then Siobhan uh, became ill and then uh, ended up uh, being adopted by Jenny Darling, which is still implausible and delightful, but that was a fantastic time to crack on. It is. Siobhan was a very interesting character because she was not a nice woman. She was not a bakey, cakey, uh, worry about the family type woman. She was. I think that's a bit harsh to say she wasn't nice. But no, I don't. I mean, I mean, she had a very clear agenda and she was kind of much more rounded than your typical home counties cakey bakey woman. But I mean nice in that Ambridge way. Oh, okay. Nice oh, in the way that Shula uh, is nice and, you know, just respectable. Well, Shula's, oh, oh, Shula's not nice. No, Shula's but I mean respectable. Lump of milk. Yeah. yeah. But yes, the, 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 this ridiculous trope of the nice woman and, and having to behave, it was just, I think even, even though I'd only just started listening to The Archers, it was pretty clear that I didn't really like Siobhan at all, but I found it absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And by extent, she made Brian, who, you know, I love I love dearly because he's Brian and he's brilliantly written and very set in his ways. And they know exactly what the character does and how he reacts. But he's not he's not a thrilling chap. And his association with Siobhan just made it all the more exciting. Remind me who, who Siobhan's best pal was. It wasn't Usha, was it? Oh, no. Or was it um, Lizzie? Lizzie. It was because Lizzie, they fell it? out. Yeah. Yes, once, that was yeah. it. That was it. Because then uh, um, Jenny Darling didn't really want to be friends with Elizabeth yes. after that, so it yeah. all got a bit yeah. frosty, mm. as these things do. No, I miss I I miss Siobhan. I think we need because there was sort of Lillian has got a little bit of that, but ultimately she is you know a good sort. We want a few women who are not good sorts. But then we've got, you know, pantomime Dame Hazel Woolley, pantomime baddie Hazel Woolley, who's, no, you know, but, but just an evil sort. Which is yeah. just, she's not a sort, really. She's just she's, a... On, I mean, I, I, always, I always love when, when Hazel's around because she is... I can sense that the scriptwriters are having an absolute field day writing her. Yeah. Just that whole wonderful standoff between her and Peggy about that dreadful headstone that she wanted to yeah. do. It was just marvelous. <laughs> but I'm also, I'm I'm really enjoying Kate, who used to be on a par with, with Kathy for just sheer nails down a chalkboard cringe whenever she'd appear. But again, whoever's whoever's been writing the scripts for her recently has obviously been having a lovely time because she's so ridiculous, but also just clearly taking such joy in in being herself with her with her assorted weird ceremonies and faffing around. I think the the only weird thing with Kate is that her, her children in South Africa are just almost never referenced and I I just find that yeah. very very weird. Mm. I wish they'd hurry up and do something different with Brian now. Because all he ever says is, What's for lunch, Jenny? And she says, something in the fridge and he goes, Huh and that's it. It's sort of apart from him having random goes at uh, Adam about, you know, the herbal lay and everything, he hasn't got any he was always good for a bit of intrigue, you know, either it was Borchester land or 
yes. you know, other women or something. And now he's just this mad old man stumping around looking for Cornish pasties under sofa cushions. He's just kind of, you know, <laughs> he's lost well, the, his... He had yeah. a bit of pizzazz, Brian, but it seems to have gone a bit recently. Well, it's, it's this focus on, on, the, on the brothers as well, um, who are just so amazingly anodyne. And, yeah. and so on, on Pip and, and the focus on the archers, I couldn't... I actually nearly cried when Pip made the inevitable decision not to Brazil. I was just like, no, my oh God, selling Brookfield again. They just, just cannot, they cannot do this to us, this endless setting up of, oh yeah. my God, it's going to happen, something's going to happen, and of yeah. course it's not. The archers yeah. need nothing. And I feel jolly silly, uh, jolly silly, jolly sad for poor old David, who's just got ever more boring and ever more impatient and ever more oh, God, martyred, look, I'm just wheeling this cross around with me at all times, but, you know, I've got to go and do something with cows and um, and uh, oh, just oh, just general Brookfield. We need a break from Brookfield. I don't care if they're concentrating on the archers. Pick better ones to concentrate on for a bit. I want to know what the hell's happening with Jamie and Kathy Perks. I mean, because yeah. ja- Jamie's apprenticed to... Wasn't he apprenticed to... No, who was he apprenticed to? He was. He's he's up trees, isn't he? Yeah, but wasn't he apprenticed to Mike? Oh, that's a good point. Oh, nobody's Mm. mentioned that at all. I mean, that'll make the commute a bit difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he goes to Birmingham and chops down telegraph poles or something. Practices. Yeah, that's really odd. And same. same I tell you what, he'd have a lot of work in Brum cutting down trees. More trees than any other city in Western Europe, Birmingham. Yeah, but they probably don't want them chopped down, do they? They'd probably like to hang on to them where at all possible. You'd probably, probably achieve that title by keeping tree surgeons firmly away from their environs. Very true. I'll tell you what, I'll continue to butt out of this conversation. <laughs> Ladies as you were. <laughs> I mean, it's it's... There are so many lovely characters over the over the years who who have just sort of you know disappeared off, and I understand that there's this strategy to you know bring it all back to the archers. But I think what needs to be appreciated is that the archers are not always terribly interesting, and it says something that you know there can be an amazing family summit you know spearheaded inadvertently by Jolene to sort of to to give Kenton and Jolene this money, and and for it just to actually be a bit boring. Mm. Boring. And it's just like just Lizzie and and Shula going. Well, I can probably give four thousand pounds. What about you, Shula, or something? <laughs> just like, oh, I don't know. I've got so many horses that I need to feed. <laughs> I've got so many things I need to get ready for Dan when he comes back, including this little effigy that I've made of Dan, which I need some hair from to, to uh, make human. Um, yeah, it's just tedious. And and poor old Lillian as well, who I don't think has ever recovered from that storyline. With her, with Paul, mm. Lillian stopped being Lillian and just turned into somebody else entirely. Um, do you remember that weird passive-aggressive section during the the Paul and Lillian thing when you weren't quite sure whether Paul was going to turn out to be a serious wrongen? I think just... I think that was a practice for Rob. Mm. I think whoever wrote that kind of quite enjoyed writing that ambivalent character, and. And then said, "Could we have another one like that?" And they kind of let him loose or her loose then on um, on Rob because there were there were great huge similarities. Yeah, my my absolute favourite thing about Rob actually is how the Plarchers portray them. I love love love, <laughs> love the so much, and they just they just get it absolutely spot on every time. And Rob with his I didn't even know that Playmobil had a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Last played with it in about 1986, and I imagine things have moved on somewhat. 
I just love that when she came on the podcast, she was so funny. We sort of saying, well, I can't, as people will know, we kind of have two choices, arms up in the air in outrage or surprise (laughs) or down by their sides. Quite happy, really. That's it. They're the two choices. And Rob's always got his cloak flaring and his arms up in the air. Smashing. I'm, I'm devastated actually. As soon as I um, uh, as soon as I uh, first encountered the joys of the Plarchers, I dropped I dropped them a line and was just like, "Hello, I would really like to speak to you for the Telegraph, please." And I think they went, "No, no mainstream, no awful Telegraph thing." Whereas really, oh. it's just I'm an Archers fan and I'd, I'd really like to speak to you about this. But to be honest, it's been so delightful just just watching the watching the scenes pan out every week. It's just brilliant. I think what they're doing is absolutely incredible. There's so many lovely things that have spun up around the archers, particularly on, on Twitter and yeah. on Facebook, and and obviously Dumpty Dum is is just the best of all. Just... Yeah, exactly. We're we're the Rolls Royce of our of archers fandom, aren't we? We got we got uh, our first uh, nice review, didn't we, from Telegraph? Lucy, you didn't let her answer. Sorry. Oh God, was there a question that I tangented away from? No, you... well, Lucy, Lucy jumped in. You're supposed to like big us up then. Yes. Oh no. She no. did. She said we we were the best. What more do you want? Yeah. Oh, more, more of the same. <laughs> I should have prepared a website friendly quote, shouldn't I? <laughs> I should say the um, like the uh, Dumpty Dum. It's it's Empire almost of... as good as the Plarchers. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty uh, unbeaten as far as Archers fan podcasts go. So how does Ambridge fit into your real life? Um, you were able to talk about uh, the world of Borsetshire in your columns. Yes, I mean, I, I wish I, I wish that the, the Telegraph really had a dedicated um, Archer's column, as obviously the Guardian has lovely, lovely, brilliant Nancy Banksmith, who's just absolute must read every month. Um, Gillian and our radio columns uh, focuses in quite hard, which is really good. And then I've, I've written uh, pieces around anything that sort of popped up like the the sheer ludicrousness of Will Grundy being Ed's best man which I I had to take to my bed for quite some time to recover from and um, and of course the flood which was wonderfully done and there've been there's actually been so much great writing particularly over the last couple of years it's just there's also been some absolutely frankly baffling character decisions which sort of can rather overwhelm them but I thought I thought the flood for example was just so brilliantly done really sensitive I'm just quite sad that they didn't you know Biff Charlie a bit harder over the head, and um, and I'm also quite sad again that Rob had to end up being some kind of hero. Just like he's, I think Rob is inherently a coward, and I wish we'd saw a bit more of that. Mm. Or, you know, just him running away and perhaps leaving somebody in a boat. Poor Christine. Well, but well, he know. would have done, wouldn't he? Had he not had a boat full of people behind him shouting, "Get Christine! Get Christine!" He kind of had to. He couldn't really say no. Sod off and row away fast in the opposite direction. Oh, he was so unimpressed with Christine, though, wasn't he? And well, he was shouting at her, wasn't he? Get in the boat! But everyone's <laughs> somewhat not impressed by Christine, aren't they? I mean, everyone, i.e. the listeners. Mm. I don't understand the point of her. She is the physical embodiment of the colour beige, Christine, isn't she? Mm. And when she was so, you know, umming and ahhing about moving house and everything, it's just, Christine used to be used to be quite fun. Yeah. I mean, just never as fun or as formidable as Julia, obviously Julia. Um, uh, Julia Pottinger. Yes. Delightful. But um, but she was she was a bit of fun for Jim, and they had a nice time doing the crossword together. Whereas now, whenever they have a scene, or particularly talking about the Italian, it's almost as though 
you know, Christine's a nervous horse who requires extra <laughs> care. <laughs> Sweet of collies yeah. to sort of put her in the right direction. Come over here to Italian, Christine. Don't be frightened. And it's oh, just I, don't yeah. rush up behind Christine. She'll kick. Yeah. <laughs> She'll kick you. She'll kick you. <laughs> she lashes out. <laughs> hey, you. But, um, I mean, I, I suppose you know it's, it's an interesting way of treating the aftermath of the flood and everything. But you know, Christine was a pretty redoubtable character. Um, beforehand and it just sort of feels as though any shred of that iron center is just sort of melted away into a pool of yes so who who are your favorite characters because like we've you've dissed everybody but (gasps) who do you actually like well i think i i love i love to diss my favorites um i've actually uh, from this sadly now defunct twitter account called urka furka where they used to illustrate tweets (laughs) And I've got an illustration of a tweet uh, that I sent out in a rage when Helen was giving birth to horrible Henry and uh, during that period. And that is one of my absolute treasures because hating Helen or at least thinking that she's an incomprehensible weirdo um, is one of my greatest joys. But Lillian, of course, Lillian is absolutely my favourite because she is the closest to somebody that I recognise of all of Ambridge. Um, she she always there's no nonsense about her except when she's you know given a slightly strange storyline. She's always there for gin. She's always there for a laugh. She's always there to celebrate or, or or commiserate or just to just to be there for her friends. I think she's mm. a good friend. She's a really super relative, and oh the the ending of the, of the Matt Matt storyline was just enraging for her and 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 for us and for me as a Lillian fan. That was sending him off to Costa Rica. Yeah, okay, jog on. Considering that they've managed to send, you know, Debbie off to Hungary quite well, they could quite happily have just left Matt as a silent character. Although he was wonderful, and I love their relationship. I together. think you can't when someone when when someone's got that strong a narrative voice, you can't leave them as a silent character mm. because it's, it's too irritating for people. Because it's just like, I don't want to hear hearsay; I want to hear him saying it. You know. Mm. Yeah. But then. Is that is that more or less irritating than just having? Oh no, all my stuff has disappeared, and mm. here's. An- yeah. Considering how central that relationship had been, you know, whether you like it or not, let's say to Ambridge Extra and to mm-hmm. Ambridge, there needed there needed to be more of a fallout um, in terms of not just the all my stuff has gone, but it should have played out longer. Yeah. It should have played out longer, and Lillian should have been much more obviously devastated yes she's had a little bit of botox and etc but considering all this um helen and rob stuff that that we've actually had Mm. they should have you know lillian should have gone into an absolute free fall yeah an absolute free fall and i think the matt and lillian relationship was so crucial to ambridge because it was a different sort of relationship exactly two people who were completely independent who weren't, you know, like nice people, who certainly weren't golden people, mm. but who, you know, and also late in life had sort of found each other. Well, yeah, absolutely. And it was mm. just, you know, rather than just sort of having these chaste crosswording relationships like Christine and Jim or or having to go and get married like um, like Jolene and Kenton, then then immediately, you know, it backfiring and Kenton having an absolute nervo. There was such a great example of a mature, interesting, yeah. un, unrepresented relationship rather than just, oh, gosh, we're just going to go around being married and making chutney or talking about sheep. And mm. that's a real shame. And 
Ambridge is very much the poorer for it. But at least we've still got Lillian. Yes. Please let Lillian leave. I don't know what anybody would do. Or please let her just carry on being Lillian and not have some kind of character epiphany where she abruptly changes into, you know, that woman who presents songs of praise or something. You know, you just want we want Lillian to stay Lillian-y, to stay ginny, to stay cackling, to stay smoking, to stay yeah. making unwise choices that, you know, the kind of ones that we can all go, oh, for God's sake, but know perfectly well that's exactly what we would have done. And somebody who appreciates shades of grey and not in the dreadful book sense. Yeah. But who, who can see all sides of the story and who has had enough life experience, yeah. who's done interesting things. I mean, again, one of the one of the things I love most about Lillian is her complete blind spot when it comes to that dreadful James. Yes. I remember when, <laughs> when James was trying to persuade her to, to invest in a development in, what did he call it? It was like, he called it East Greenwich or something. She was like, isn't that Deptford, darling? And, this was... <laughs> and uh, but just absolutely delightful. But she but... did say the other day, didn't she, to Jenny, darling, because Jenny was talking about um, Adam might be leaving, and and um, you know, with Debbie away in Hungary and everything. And and Lillian said, "Well, some of us find it easier if our children are a nice long mm. way away." And <laughs> I did think, ah, oh, do you actually? Are you? You know, she no, she does know that her sons are not a twonk. And also, well, she there does was know, the, but she knows around the name us. as well, wasn't there? Yeah, and I love the relationship between uh, between Linda and Lillian about their terrifying next generation of of son and daughter and, and little Mungo and everything. I think very. I, I realise I'm sort of going through like every single Archer's character now, but Linda and her, you know, attempt to get on with Leonie and. And coriander and everything is really touching, really yeah. lovely. Yeah. Right. Are we done the archers now? Mark. <laughs> All of the archers is done. It's finished. Right. Shall I go off? Shall I go off and have my shower now? Then while you two talk about Marvel, and then I'll come back in about fifteen minutes. Well, do you reckon? We, we won't. We won't be too long, Lucy. Okay. Just a splash and dash for you. All splash right. and dash, darling. Um, now, how the Dickens uh, does a tour, uh, a, a Telegraph journal? Uh, a bastion of the establishment, as you are, uh, and an Archers fan, love a bit of Marvel. How did that happen? Well, Marvel's the establishment, though, really, isn't it? It's been going since the 60s. It's got, you know, it's got pillars, pillars of the establishment. Um, I, I mean, I, my my absolute addiction has always been to the X-Men. A friend introduced me to the X-Men mm. when I was about 10, when we had the comics and we had the TV cartoons on Saturday, which is just splendid. And I, I love them because they're just they're all about outsiders. And particularly when you're an extraordinarily tall uh, ginger girl, as I was and indeed still am, it was really lovely to sort of read about people who were misfits, but still had special powers and could still go and do amazing things. And I think I very much identified and, and loved the X-Men uh, much more than I did any other uh, of the Marvel characters like Spider-Man or, or Super, uh, no, Superman's DC, isn't he? Traitorous. Yeah, boo hiss. Yeah, Boo Hister, Boo Hister, boring old Spider-Man and, uh, and Superman. But um, I, th I think they're absolutely fantastic. And the sheer variety of characters in the X-Men, mm. I guess a little bit like um, bringing it back to the Ambridge, bringing it back to Ambridge really is that there's always one, there's always one for your mood. And there's always one <laughs> to, to back or to, or, to, or to disapprove of or to find fundamentally weird, such as when they reinvent them. Mm. Those, I suppose they've, they've done with Pip. So are you finding that, you know, with all this uh, Marvel movie malarkey, that the world has kind of come to you in terms of its appreciation of uh, caped goodies? 
I think that's really lovely, actually. Um, I think I, th I think I'm much more I'm much more pleased that now a wider a wider audience can enjoy comics or at least comic characters and and appreciate that they aren't just for geeks or or for you know misunderstood people who only go and hang out in comic shops. Mm -hmm. Although amazingly, I once got twenty percent off in a comic shop in Chichester because my mobile phone went off with the X Men ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> one of my one of my uh, my more celebrated moments there. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like when people start getting into into the archers as well. And then, and uh, one of my great friends, um, his boyfriend was into the archers for absolutely ages, and we all went on holiday together about five years ago. And every day we'd have to troop down in the car to somewhere that had Wi-Fi, sit in the car, and then listen to what was going on. And um, and poor old Pip was just so bewildered by the whole thing because it was when. It was when Pip Archer was going out with um, Jude and that whole oh. Fizz Jude thing was going on. So Will and I were basically just shouting at the radio going, <laughs> stop being so awful. She's 17. Why are you so weird? This is all weird and wrong. And uh, obviously by the end of the holiday, um, uh, real life Pip had uh, completely come over to it. And he's now mm -hmm. just as old as we all are. It's like joining a cult. A really splendid. It is. It is. There's something very satisfying about um, falling in love with something which has a you, which is a uni an enclosed kind of universe, and then understanding all the characters and how they interact within it, and then um, sharing that with one or two other people, and it's almost like special handshakes, like joining the Freemasons or something or another, and there is something um, incredibly. Um, and I feel a tiny bit, and this is somewhat analogous between the world of kind of Marvel superheroes. One of the reasons why people get so, have such a fervent kind of loyalty and incredibly defensive about the Archers is because we've been, for the most part, we've been listening to it pre-social media. And it was a solitary exercise. You listen to it by yourself or maybe with your family, but most people listen to it by themselves. And there was somewhat kind of shunned if you if you spoke about it and then all of a sudden social media comes along and you realize that there are five million other people in the uk that felt a little bit kind of odd and peculiar and that were kind of into this and it's kind of ditto with the whole world of kind of superheroes because you read the little comics as kids or maybe you watched the uh, the cartoons as a teenager mm. but then you were told basically to grow up to put that to one side uh, but it was all, but it was always this little, little thing in the background. And all of a sudden, all these films have kind of come out, and everybody says, "I've always kind of quite like a bit of Captain America," and and there is, uh, and it's, it's stepping out in, into the into the sunlight, isn't it? It's coming out of that closet, whether it's the Archer's uh, closet or whether it is the superhero closet. It is absolutely, and I, I think oh, social media is such a wonderful thing, anyway, because um, uh, I never really got into Mustard Land or any of the Archer. Mm because I, I was never really a forums person I found them oddly just slightly slightly frightening just not not particularly welcoming whereas I really love uh, like follow the tweet alongs and and everything that sort of happens on a, on a Sunday and you know you can guarantee around 703 every weeknight there's going to be people saying wonderful witty and or, or horrified things about what's going on and uh, and that becomes like a lovely community but it mm. one that you can just dip in and out of um, but thinking about the X-Men, I remember when I was 17, 18, the very first film in the series came out and I was just so blown away because it wasn't 
it wasn't somebody going, oh God, look at this weird thing that weird people like. It was somebody who had who had looked at it and gone, okay, you know what, let's do this properly. Mm. Such a joy to see. And I felt a little bit like that with Blythe Spirit last Christmas um, because they I, mean, I thought it was a lovely, a lovely idea from the BBC. It didn't didn't quite come off, but just you know, taking taking the Archers play that is a mm. real part of our listening calendar every single year, and sort of taking it out and doing it properly was just it was a lovely mark of respect for listeners, I think, mm. and and just a lovely, a really welcome bonus. And goodness, Fallon's a fantastic actress. Isn't she, she? she absolutely she is. is. She absolutely really, is. Really lovely. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed all of that. Just to finish up with uh, the whole world of Marvel and movies, one of the best scenes out of all of the films, I must admit, I've never massively been um, a devotee of, of the X-Men. Um, you know, I know, know who they are and, and whatever. Uh, and what Chris Claremont did in the 70s was absolutely brilliant to reinvent uh, mm. the, the X-Men and to make it much more uh, polit- overtly political. Uh, you know, absolute, absolute genius. Uh, but that scene with Nightcrawler on movie two at the very start, where he's in the in the White House. And and that was stunning to me because it wasn't just the, the visual effect, but it was actually um, grounding their abilities in a world that kind of made sense. And, and it's incredibly powerful. You know, when he's going from room to room and mm. then he gets in, into into the Oval Office and you had a real sense, actually, of this ability. And, and that, to me, is kind of the genius thing about what they've done uh, with this kind of Marvel superhero world, as opposed to, let's say, the old Superman movies, where Superman was flying around the planet and spinning it backwards. You know, if you suspend a little bit of uh, belief, it kind of makes sense in terms of the physics of actually what they're doing. And that is just one of the most clever and beautiful scenes i think out of any one of these kind of movies but we should stop talking about (laughs) (laughs) superheroes because uh we are fundamentally a show about what we a show about lucy i've forgotten um baking isn't it a couple couple of old lushes that like to just talk about crap yeah yeah shall we now see what the other caller in is reckoning about the last week's goings on yes why not Hello, Ambridge 3962. I hope that you, Lucy, and everyone else affected by recent storylines are doing okay. Recent difficult and painful scenes have got me pondering more than ever. I'm afraid I can't see any good in Rob at all. Every word he says has an edge to it for his own manipulative advantage. He has a particularly annoying vocal mannerism that gets me every time. Whenever he explains something that really is for his own benefit, but he is trying to make out he is being selfless, he gives a little semi-laugh mid-sentence that becomes part of the intonation. I think I'd rather have a few more right you are's than hear Rob using this vocal trick once again. The storyline worries me in that will it ever reach a conclusion in the near future? I can see it generates a lot of interest in the programme, but it feels like a negative version of in Frasier, where once the Daphne and Niles will-they-won't-they thread was ended, 
the fizz went out of the programme. Is it being painfully strung out to keep interest up, with Rob being an eternal baddie? I'm afraid, Roy, Phil, that I don't buy that Rob is nice to Henry at times, as all his interactions are just too aggressive and short-tempered. I have a long-standing fear with Rob from a scene right when he met Helen a couple of years ago when Helen came across him photographing scenes of Ambridge for a Barrow Farm brochure or Open Farm Sunday advertising or some such, so he said, near the village playground. Alarm bells rang in my head, although perhaps I was being too PC, but surely having Rob near the playground with his camera was a bit odd. I've been fretting since that he has been slowly grooming Henry, but sincerely hope I am wrong, as this would be just too much with the other recent storylines. On a lighter note, I was pleased to see the scriptwriters took my pleadings to heart with a beard mention in the programme, as the Archers was missing this, even if it was a disparaging remark by Adam about one of the pickers whose beard looked like he'd smudged his chin with a marker pen. I hold out hope for a full scene discussing facial hair very soon. Paul, I agree completely. It is the chuckle, isn't it? It is the mansplaining chuckle that Rob delivers when he's trying to force people he's make trying to he tries to undermine people and make them think that what they said isn't what they said or tries to make them feel as if they've somehow been a bit flaky a bit inadequate he's like you know oh i'm gently amused at your at your at your funny little ways in the meantime do what i bloody well say it's horrible uh, but yes it is a mansplaining chuckle and i doubt there are many women listening to this podcast who have not been on the receiving end of a mansplaining chuckle to be frank um and yes it it is painfully strung out this storyline but it's the pain because it's true if it was a a lesser soap it would have all been done and dusted in 10 days but it is painfully strung out because it is real life and that's horrible hello dum dum it's mary not contrary calling from a very hot and sunny toronto i just wanted to say that i found the scene between helen and johnny when they were at the lagoons very eerie i mean johnny was just getting a little bit too close for comfort for helen in terms of um, you know her state of mind, and she was very sort of shutting down, pushing her away. Just don't say I'm unhappy, Johnny. Don't say I'm unhappy. Um, but I thought the sound effects were brilliant because you could hear the birds in the background sort of crying in a very eerie way, almost like it was Helen's psyche or her soul screaming out. So well done to the sound effects team. And um, yeah, it's a bit of a nail biter this one. We'll see where it goes, but I really hope Helen does. Um, wake up and be honest with herself that she's not happy and um, she deserves better okay thanks everyone bye mary not contrary um yeah that was a very interesting exchange that johnny getting too close to helen kind of identifying her hurt and also her the fear that she showed in 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 saying no i'm not i'm not happy and you don't tell anybody i'm not happy johnny it's the fear of saying uh, you know, because she knows what that will inevitably mean, that Rob will take that personally and blah, blah, blah. Now, remember last week, uh, was it probably the week before, and we talked about the role of Ian specifically with the deal, the, the Adam and Brian yeah. deal, and the fact that um, whether you and I thought it was a, a good deal or not, the writers 
have penned it to be a bad deal and that's been revealed by Ian's reaction to it because yeah. Ian is kind of like conscience um, of, of the show, so to speak. And like Ian has already punched Rob. Okay, so Ian is actually, you know, it's, it's a similar thing also with Johnny, that Johnny, um, you know, Johnny has already picked up that there is something off with Helen. And so, the, you know, so the, the role of Ian and Johnny are somewhat kind of analogous in that, you know, they're, slight, uh, they're slightly to the outside of the, the families that they're in. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And they have... Um, and. Uh, and kind of emotionally, they have much more kind of empathy. And you read into how they see situations as in the writer's truth. And that's what I kind of got with the whole kind of Johnny thing. So Johnny has noticed and Johnny will be the person who will see uh, and be much more attuned to kind of Helen's descent, a la Ian, in terms of understanding characters, mm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Hello, it's Catherine Bajant here, Mrs Bentos on the Twitters. I wanted to give you a call, even though I wasn't incredibly inspired by this week's offering on the Archers. I think, blimey, it wasn't exactly a stellar set of episodes this week, really. Um, I mean, the Rob story continued and it was creepy and chilling and and well-written. I kept zoning out of that and focusing on little unimportant things and then just obsessing over them for the rest of the episode I had to keep going back and listening again because I hadn't noticed actually what was going on just really silly things like Brian didn't use a kettle to make his pot of tea which Jenny insisted he made they must have one of those boiling water taps in her Albion posh kitchen I just kept kept thinking about that how I didn't hear the noise of the kettle and then I noticed that I just kept fixating rather on the fact that Jenny was able to magic Cornish pasties at will out of her fridge. So I can see why Brian stays with her. And then I got on to the fact that there are pigeons in the park in Ambridge, which is quite unusual for the countryside. I don't really see any pigeons around here. 
and then the frogs left in the brownies by the brownies in the cupboard again I started thinking oh it's not a very good time of year for frogs is it they're kind of feeding up for the winter and beginning to hibernate especially as it's so cold so as you can probably tell I wasn't really that engaged with the storylines I kept drifting off into quite dull wanderings but there we go um, they did lose me a bit on the U-Hogs scene as well, though I do quite like the sound of the Sheep Association. I'm wondering what they do on their raucous nights out. Maybe they shear one another or knit or have rattle parties or something. But So talking of uninspiring, I just found Pip and Rex incredibly boring and I'm just now quite concerned they are going to get together because, oh, a nation yawns, they're, they're incredibly boring and dull. I'm sure when I was their age, I wasn't filled with anxiety about what the older generation thought of my life decisions. To be honest, I don't really think I even agonised about life decisions that much when I was their age. I hate to say it, but I'm sort of with Toby on this one. Maybe if they spent less time wondering about what other people thought about them and how they were taking their responsibilities seriously, they might have a bit more fun. I mean, even Toby would show a girl a better time than having a sausage sandwich with sliced cucumber and tomato in front of a caravan. I think, to be honest, I didn't really blame Pip for wandering off and um, welcoming the limestone lorry. I think I'd have gone too. Anyway, I'm off now to see my future in the future, as Pip might say, because she's quite right, isn't she? Because the future does tend to be in the future. That's where it normally is in the future. Catherine Bajant. Brian didn't use a kettle to make a pot of tea. No, they do have those, one of those boiling water taps. I remember Jenny Darling going on about it, saying that they had a cold water tap uh, in the Albion and a boiling hot water tap, because I remember thinking how lethal that sounded. Um, Yeah, I know what you mean about focusing on the tiny little details. I think it's because the Robin Helen storyline is overwhelming so much and the Kenton storyline. It's also gigantic and cosmically awful. You can't actually deal with it so your brain just says oh that's too that's too stressful I'm just going to worry about you know um whether or not they've got you know whether or not they've remembered to take that quiche out of the oven or something you're just kind of you're trying to give your brain something less hurtful or less stressful to 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 think about um which I remember when when if I if I have very very big unpleasant news I go and fold washing because it just makes me feel like whatever <laughs> else is going on I, my washing will still be folded. It's just that sort of thing. It's your brain's doing a bit of mental laundry, I think. Um, and it, yeah, um, it's Catherine ba- uh, D- Catherine said about um, uh, Pip sort of worrying so much about Pip and Rex and Toby worrying about well not Toby because he doesn't give a, a bugger but um, uh, Pip and Rex worrying about what people think you know about with this is the time of your they, they are at the time of their lives where they can make massive cock-ups because it doesn't really matter they have family to support them they don't have family to support so therefore if they do make stupid decisions or you know mess up interviews or stuff up meetings or leave jobs it's kind of okay but i think not to go on about this generation again like i did last time sounding like a very very old lady mm. um i think they are very frightened of failure this generation because I don't think they've ever re- they've kind of been protected from it a lot because of... I don't know if I agree with that really you. I, I, you know I'm not saying you're wrong I'm saying I do not know I think there is much the um, one of the massive changes in terms you know sociologically in Britain 
this obviously was kind of brought about in in the eighties, but the fact that Thatcher said everybody could be um, an entrepreneur and you could start your own business, and you look at the kind of the 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 explosion of people who are self-employed, and and every year it goes up exponentially, but it really started significantly towards the middle to the end of the of the nineteen eighties, and that is kind of tied with the death of. Uh, people, uh, the slow decline, I would say, in terms of uh, people being castigated for failure. Uh, no, bankruptcy doesn't have the stigma it used to. Mm, yeah. Know? So I'm saying I don't know. Well, I just that I, I, I agree with that. I d- a couple of years ago, I did a lot of work with a with a young people's charity, mm. and we dealt with children that had be that were sort of uh, hard to reach or been excluded or whatever, sort of secondary school sort of age, mm-hmm. and. Um, we it was all about teaching them to sort of manage their own uh, stuff not being sort of uh nursed through situations and they had budgets to manage and if they went if they made a mistake they gave up instantly and we said why did you give up and they said and and it wasn't them giving up being defeatist they just said well you're gonna i've got it wrong so you're gonna take it all off me now aren't you and we said, no, you, you know, you made a mistake. That's OK. You just but you ca- but you carry on. That's what everybody makes mistakes. You carry on. And they had never come across that because the way they'd been taught was that at school was that, um, you know, it, there was no such thing as a as as a as a fail. Oh, no, I'm getting myself tangled up. It wasn't there was no such thing as a fail, but. Just you could either do it or you couldn't. And if you couldn't, you didn't. You got one chance. If you couldn't do it, that was it. You'd moved on to the next thing then. Mm. I think there might be a bit of a class divide in this. And my my instinctive gut is that your common or garden, average, middle class, young adult. um, Like Pip. Yeah, you know, we'll go around the world, do a little bit of travelling, come back, have a nice harebrained scheme and uh, get some money from family and friends to open a, an artisanal bakery in Shoreditch <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah. it might work and it might not. And if it fails, they do not feel like, oh, my God, my world has, has crashed yeah. around me. They'll dust themselves off and go and get themselves a proper job or have another idea. And in America, those people are absolutely celebrated as engines of the economy yeah. and good on you and blah, blah, blah. Over here, yeah, we are still 20, 30 years behind that. And there is a certain amount of, well, I knew that wasn't going to work is what people would say behind yeah. behind your back, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that that stigma um, hangs around that person in a way that it did, let's say, 30, not even 30, like 50, 60 years ago, where people would be, you'd say, that person was a failure you know they tried to do something it didn't work they they are a failure and i think that there is a bit of a class divide in this in that and i see very much with um members of my own family who will talk about ideas you know for years and never do them Uh, and it isn't just because they can't find the money which i know is something we've talked about before but it's also because actually they're scared of failure well, actually, now you've said that, it is, it's like if Ed Grundy had got a job and left it after two days, he would have absolutely, Eddie and Clary would have ripped his head off, wouldn't they? Mm. 
They'd have exactly. said, what the hell are you doing? And he would have felt mortified. It was a great opportunity to yeah. be in the first person but in the Pip's family to like, go to Brazil, yeah. travel the world. Pip's like, oh, so if something else will come along. I really hadn't thought of that. That is a very good point, Mr. B. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next caller in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Basking in your, in your success. <laughs> Next. Hello, Dumpty Dums, Goddess Diva here. Having her credulity stretched, it would seem, by the archers. Not at the idea of the domestic abuse, although harrowing as it is, it's very realistic. Not at the idea of Kenton's depression, which, awful as it is, is very realistic. But at the idea that there just happens to be affordable property for harassment burn Allen to move into. Really? Really? It's ridiculous. It seems that, even with the fact that Daryl couldn't get a break, Daryl, who is a craftsman in couldn't get a break where it came to property, nothing at all. It would seem that Harrisman and Fallon can move straight into Auntie Cardboard's house. Well, well, as soon as it's ready anyway. It's ridiculous and stupid. Anywho, this week's Titchinoff Must Die comes with a special request, which has amused me no end, from, I think it was at Jean R something, I can't remember, I'm sorry, lovely, who wanted giant wasps involved. So... Here is the giant wasp version of Titchinob Must Die. So Titchinob, no mates, goes out and has a little bit of a picnic on his own because everybody else is at work and nobody wants him. And he sat drinking his iron brew when a swarm of giant wasps come and attack him. He literally shits himself and he can't move because they've got him pinned down. Three days later, when they finally let him go and he straggles his way home, He's got a really nasty rash on his arse. This rash turns septic, goes all the way up to his, bu- his, his bum and his bowel, so he will die slowly and painfully, covered in pus and his own effluence. The end. Anywho, that's it from me this week. I'm, oh, apart from Jolene, get that man of yours some help. He needs some bloody help and just take the money really i know when you're married and stuff it's supposed to be a team but just take the money because he's not making rational decisions right now if he's not making rational decisions about about the business then you need to do it for him because at the end of the day if i remember rightly it is jolene's business goddess diva is having a credulity stretched yes that brought tears to my eyes um you yeah property in the village for god's sake well it's what i said last week isn't it all of a sudden there's a there's no property for startups would you like a lovely three-bedroom cottage yes please okay then you know <laughs> off you go how convenient um but yes i think it was um eggstones who said uh woodbine is going to end up being the tea shop so we're presumably going to have the tea shop at the front and harassment and fallon shacked up in the back of um uh, of Woodbine, just as we're going to have the shop at the front of the bull and the bar at the back of the bull. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, are, we, are, we, are we talking about um, Fallon? Yeah. I love you, Joanna Van Campen. I'm just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I think she knows, you know. I think you've mentioned it I, before. I think, I no, because actually, if you were to go back and listen to our podcasts, our podcasting output, when's the last time I even mentioned Yeah, it was a Fallon couple of months ago, actually. No, no, a long time ago, a long time ago. And I just wanted to know, I'm still hanging on in for when you leave, Harrison. <laughs> um, uh, Yokel Bear. Oh, and can I just say very quickly before going to Yokel Bear, 
that um, I line up behind uh, Miss Van Campen with her thoughts and her feelings uh, about the refugee crisis. And she sent out a, a very lovely tweet, uh, which has been retweeted a few times and um, right behind you. And I think all right minded and thinking people are uh, with this kind of current uh, crisis that is going on throughout Europe. Yokel Bear, as you were. Hello, dumb stomach. Yokel Bear here. There were moments that I really, really loved this week. Susan, especially. God, when she gets the bit between her teeth. She's community campaigner extraordinaire, really, isn't she? I think in this fight over the shop, she's going to leave Linda standing in terms of taking on Hazel. I think this could be a titanic showdown. Please, script writers, please let's have a Barney between Hazel and Susan because it will be brilliant. Other things I've enjoyed this week is how much of a pedant Jim is. Um, Even though I spent most of my time shouting at the radio going, don't be a pedant. He just can't help himself, can he? You know, somebody pronounces something Italian wrong and he's got to correct it. He just can't help himself and it has been quite amusing. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm with Roy Field as well. I feel a bit short-changed over this Pip thing. And oddly, I'm beginning to warm to Rex. Um, I've said before, but Toby, no, not so much anymore. It's just feckless and that gets boring after a while. It's been a bit of a strange week in Ambridge. Um, Oh, sorry, I've got to go. That's my other phone going. Uh, Jim is a pedant. He was shouting at the radio. Uh, Yes, Jim was being slightly unbearable, wasn't he? But the thing is, poor Jim never has... He has so scant opportunity to show off. He reminds me of Marvin the Paranoid Android on... um, Mm-hmm. You know, on Hitchhiker's Guide, when he says, can you make me a cup of tea? And he says, yes, I've got a brain the size of a planet. Of course, I can make you a cup of tea. And you kind of think, yeah, he's, you know, he has such scant opportunity to show off his historical knowledge, his linguistic uh, abilities and all that. So whenever he gets the chance, you cannot hold the man back. Uh, mm-hmm. But yes, he was being extremely irritating. And that ringtone thing is just so patronising. Oh, hated it. Hated that episode. Hi Dumpty Dum, it's Lady Garf Garf here. I called in a couple of months ago um, and have meant to call in frequently since, but things have been busy, been on honeymoon in Canada and all sorts of lovely things. Um, I realised I broke the rules last time. I'm really, really sorry. I hope uh, Lucy and Royfield can forgive me. Um, I'm a languages teacher in a secondary school. I teach French and German, uh, unfortunately not Italian, uh, which made the last couple of weeks completely incomprehensible, I have to say, um, mainly Jim and, and Linda. Um, I did like the, the in- introduction of Italian because it made Jim uh, seem very pretentious, but I thought it went a bit too far. Uh, even for a linguist like me, uh, there was so much of it that I couldn't understand, which in a 15 minute episode is a little bit off putting. Uh, I don't know what everybody else, else thought. Anyway, um, just listened to Sunday's episode and had a couple of thoughts. Um, Rob has clearly given up work so he can be around Helen all the time, um, which is very controlling and sinister and, and also not, not only controlling Helen, but controlling Bridge Farm and, and really, really getting his feet under the table. And it seems like things have really come, gone up a gear in, in that respect. I think Helen might have realised just in time, um, but that remains to be seen whether she can uh, do anything about that. I can't work out his feelings for Henry, though, uh, because over the past couple of weeks, 
as other caller inners have commented, he seemed very short with Henry, very short tempered, seemed, you know, maybe that it was escalating towards some sort of violent behaviour. But then on Sunday, he was, um, you know, very, very cheerful, talking about taking Henry to school, um, very, you know, loving and, and in much, much more sort of fatherly way. Um, I suppose that's just the writers painting him out to be a very complex character. But it is interesting. Um, and I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Worried about Henry. Yes, I... <sighs> Uh, yeah, it is getting. I don't. Th- I I disagree with you a little bit, Royf, as well. In mm. that, I think there's been an undercurrent of impatience with Henry all the way along. And you know what? What was uh, really Lucy? What? Lucy, I've 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 totally acknowledged that. Oh, have you? But, Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. I see. He is completely losing, and I know Paul Room said the same thing too. Um, that he kind of disagreed with me, but I acknowledge that he's losing his patience with Henry, right? But because we do not like the character, we gloss over the fact that he does share, or at least he has shared moments with Henry. And they make, and the writers have made a massive play of the fact that he always takes him to the park. Yeah. You know, once a fortnight, he's down that bloody park. Where are all the other fathers, yeah. you know? With, with their children, biological or not. They're at work. The He's never at bloody work, is he? <laughs> well, a Coming lot of this is lunch. actually on, a, on the Sunday episode, though, isn't yeah. it? You know, so, you know, yes, he's an arse. Yes, he's evil. Yes, he's Dracula. Yes, he's a pantomime villain. And yes, we worry about Henry's uh, safety going, you know, going into the future because this man has got a dreadful, dreadful temper. But the truth of the matter is, he does spend some time with Henry. That's fact. And I, and I put that, you know, and that's good. I think one of the clear reasons why somebody like Pat, who is no fool, um, has given him um, the wide benefit of the doubt. Because as far as Pat's concerned, she sees this kind of um, loving, traditional, uh, you know, family and her grandson um, apparently being loved and, and taken care of by, by this man. Mm. It's just, you know, they've just, I'm not wrong in this, you know. But yes, he, going forward, heaven knows what's going to happen to the poor. Did you hear when he was, and this made me, oh, it was so cleverly done. When Henry, horrid Henry, was shouting at the pigeons, trying to kick them. Mm. And Helen said, stop doing that, Henry, it's horrible. And Rob was laughing. And I thought, you are the sort of little sod that would have run, you know, kicked ducks by the park when all the other kids mm-hmm. are feeding them. You would be the one that would be creeping up on them, trying to throw stones at them, you little ass. I mean, Rob, not Henry. Um, but yes, the sooner Henry gets away from that influence, the better. Because he's only going to learn his relationship with women through, through Rob. You know, and there's going to come a time where he's going to be saying to Helen, no, I'll do what I want and you've got to do this and you've got to do that if this carries on. Oh, crumbs, you know, you're spot on, you know. This is going to echo throughout the generations, yep. isn't it? I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that at all. Because Henry did start off, um, as soon as he could kind of talk, he was a bit of a, a handful in the ship, wasn't he? Yeah. And actually, he's somewhat calmed down and been somewhat obedient since Rob's been about. Well, yeah, because you don't know whether Rob's walloping him. I don't well, think he is. Well, because... he's not. But what we do know, though, is the whole Rob at the end of that Thursday episode yeah. before last was about the fact that he they didn't just do it on the settee, but he was rough with it, wasn't he? Hence yeah. Bruise. Bruise, yeah. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah. 
the horrid, horrid, horrid. Um, let's do Auntie Jean wants to talk about Rob, mm-hmm. and uh, so does Witherspoon. So we can put those two together. Okay. Hello, Lucy and Royfield. It's Auntie Jean here. Just ringing. I'm a week behind again, by the way. So I am ringing about the Rob Helen of last week, the awful events. I think it's Lucy's right, though. I don't think that Helen was drugged. I think she just got tipsy on an awful lot of wine. And uh, I get quite tipsy very easily on wine. I think that's exactly right. I think she just had too much and she didn't. She just expected a nice night in with her husband and that's what she got. Except that's not what she got at all and it was awful to listen to. The question is how long is it going to go on for before Helen does anything because some people stay in abusive relationships for years, don't they? And if Helen, and she is, has got very low self-esteem, we know, if Helen thinks, well, I've brought this upon myself, I'll just have to get on with it, then it could go on for an awfully long time. Let's hope not. And as for Pat's sudden, oh my God, Rob's wonderful, and aren't you lucky to have him? Where did that come from? Seriously, just because he had a go at Jim? I don't think so. That that And how she didn't pick up on Helen's incapacity to say very much um just not very real at all uh, pip on the other hand oh my god we're stuck with pip well what can you say really uh, and just because she wasn't going to go to brazil and and she was going to have to do some actual physical proper office work well i don't know anyway kenton i think lucy's right about that as well i think up to a point you would say oh silly sod you know it's all his own fault but now he's in the spiral of just drinking and a very low self-esteem and blaming himself for everything and thinking that nobody wants him or he deserves anybody. This is going to be quite interesting because lots and lots of people get like that and don't ever ask for help. One hopes that somebody will get to him and help him and it'll turn around. But again, it could be quite a long time. Anyway, I'm prattled on for over two minutes and you've got limits on your show. So I will let you get on. Thank you for the podcast. As per usual, it's very good. And I'll speak to you again soon. Bye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Lucy Royfield and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here, wishing you a happy Labor Day weekend from America. More beautiful weather, the twice-annual Greenwich Village Art Fair taking place, returning NYU students, and a bank holiday on Monday. What could be better? The same could not be said for some of the residents of Ambridge this week. First on my list, Kenton. He's an interesting character in that he's been garnering such conflicting feelings from us. At times, we're very concerned about him. As I outlined two weeks ago, he can appear clinically depressed and is definitely in need of professional evaluation and treatment. He has low self-esteem, money worries, and a bit of a drinking problem. From that point of view, he has gotten our sympathy, or should I say, empathy. On the other hand, he's made poor decisions, including one horrendous one, and has focused his anger unfairly onto his family, most especially David. From that point of view, I also understand why someone would have the urge to just slap him across the face, moonstruck style. However, we do need to resist that urge and try to get him the help he needs. On Friday, we left him with the big decision. Will he or won't he accept the money? 
If we have an it's a wonderful life scenario, then once again, as has been discussed, the scriptwriters will have unsatisfactorily wrapped up a conflict with a nice red bow. On the other hand, many listeners want the Rob Helen storyline wrapped up because it has been so disquieting. It has touched a nerve for those of us who have experienced something similar, and for those of us who have not, hopefully most of us, we are very upset by Helen's powerlessness because we are experiencing that powerlessness as well. It is palpable. We are appreciating the excellent writing. It's like a suspenseful novel. But if we're reading a well-written book, we know we could read more quickly to get to the end. But here, we're on a terrifying journey in which the scriptwriters are in control. So come on, Tom. You can be our representative and figure this out. We need relief, and Helen needs your help. Finally, on a lighter note, Pip. So Pip resigned her long-sought-after first job after graduating from university two days after beginning it. Actually, I could understand. I have a patient the same age as Pip who just graduated from university who quit her first job two weeks after starting it. She did give it more time than Pip did. She was miserable there, and it was a bad fit. And she has quickly gotten a new job because she's very talented and outgoing. Now Pip has left her job to return to the farm where she grew up and has spent her whole life, and now may very well spend the next 70-odd years at. So why did Pip actually go to university? And the reason I'm really angry with Pip, and this goes to what Lucy was talking about last week, is that she left nice Rex Fairbrethren in the middle of his sausage barbecue with hardly an I'm really sorry to do this to you. Very poor form, Pip. So with that, Angus and I will sign off. He wants a walk in Washington Square Park. You're all welcome to say hello if you're in town. Till next week. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. This is an agonizing storyline because it's going in real time. And we can't, like Witherspoon said, we, we would like to speed it up and get, if you're reading an unbearable story, you know, if I really want to, I can, you know, d- d- read this book until three o'clock in the morning to find out what happens. But on this occasion, we're just mm. stuck. We're stuck with when they decide to 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 do the reveal. We're mm. absolutely held in their in their control, as Helen is by Rob. So it's a good metaphor, I suppose. Mm. Very good. Very good. Very good. And 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 I think, and I know I've been somewhat impatient with it, but um, what is delicious about this is the the real-time nature of it can yeah. you hear them cutting the grass outside yes <laughs> <laughs> um is, is that the your real... team of gardeners working absolutely away? Yeah. My, yes yes on 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 my, on my grounds so to speak grounds grounds yes um yeah and... is it titcombe <laughs> <laughs> titcombe's out in his sit-on we have no wonder he's got that funny expression on his time, face haven't we? we haven't <laughs> Uh, um, oh, we've had I some. Say? I don't know, but we've had some emailer inners. Shall I do them? Have we done all the calls? We have. Well, I was going to say something Sorry. meaningful. Sorry. Yeah, but you know what? Your Titcomb line kind of threw me. So go on. Let's do the <laughs> emailer inners. Sorry. Uh, Angela Nagel. Dear oh, Dumpty yes. Dum, obviously I don't listen to the Archers myself. I don't know why you're pretending not to, Angela, and as if it's anything to be ashamed of. But my friend, in inverted commas, told me that Mike and Vicky were spotted in Birmingham's Reflex 80s bar last night, dressed as fairies and tangoing to Madonna. 
My friend is still covered in the fairy dust Vicky was throwing around, as were half the clubbers, and we understand that there is a new Glitter Trail tourist opportunity franchise available if anyone would like to make a bid. Thank you for that, Angela. Anybody who's interested in a new business opportunity, uh, contact us, Bank of Kenton Archer. Um, Before you go on... Sorry. Now, the reason why that was sent in is because Angela, Emma and uh, Jenny invited me up to Birmingham this week, knowing that I was a Brummie because there are... Uh, kind of clever management nurses and they meet up around the country uh, a few times a year and they invited me up to Brum uh, for their nurses weekend. Now, I do not have the stamina for two <laughs> nights out with these ladies. So I, went I was going to say, Friday. you want a nurses weekend? My God, it's like a carry-on film. <laughs> yeah, Lucy, those girls are a lot of fun. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> never see you again would i that'll be it podcast over i'd get a postcard in four months time from costa rica saying i don't know what happened (laughs) they are a lot of fun and thank you thank you thank you for inviting me up um there was there were 13 of them on the friday and then another seven uh turned up from liverpool and wherever on 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 the saturday but that that one nurse fly in from from ireland you know, nice. it's like a big deal. And I managed to convert um, somebody into being an Archers fan uh, because I was we, I was definitely at the end of the Archers table and we were chatting away and she went, isn't that that dreadful thing with the silly theme tune? And you do a podcast. <laughs> but by the end of our meal at Cafe Rouge, she said, OK, you know, fair enough. I, it, yeah, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. So. Thank you, Angela, for a wonderful weekend. And whenever the next one is, I will be there. Um, Cosmo, who has many, many questions of the type that only Cosmo can ask. Mm -hmm. Right. A, how come Lillian can find £26,000 at the accountant after the mess created by Matt and Anthea both leaving? Mm. Well, Lillian's not finding the full twenty-six, is she? Oh, well, no, but there is this thing about the share, though, isn't it? Oh, yes. Sorry. So it was a yeah. six you're supposed to find. Uh, J- B, Jamie was left a bit of the pub by Sid. So why is his lack of contribution not mentioned? And that was briefly mentioned because um, um, Jolene... How do you leave someone say... a bit of a pub? A pump or something? An optic? <laughs> I'd want the gin. <laughs> Jolene did say something about... She did mention Jamie in passing. Okay. She did, though, um, about his kind of share. And the other thing uh, is that it is Jolene's share of the pub, not not Kenton. So, yeah, Jolene really could just go and grab that money, couldn't she, and just say, to hell with, hell with you. You know, I'm getting yeah. money, blah, 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 blah. C, how come David has money on deposit? Most farmers survive on overdrafts. Yeah, here's the thing, right? Because you, far be it from us to try and pull Cosmo to task, right? But if you have somewhere worth, what, seven point odd million, and okay, Justin Elliott over egged the pudding by about a mil, didn't he? Because he just wanted the sale yeah. done. So let's say it's worth six and a half, and, but you operate on an overdraft you're still going to be able to go to any bank manager and say, come on, you know, forward me 
five, 10, 15, 20, 50 grand. So, but whether that could be done in a matter of days, you know, yeah, probably not, but far be it from me, Cosmo, to lock horns with you um, about anything financial. Just saying though. D. A bank manager, this goes up to G, by the way, D, a bank manager would ask Lily, dif- Lizzie, Lizzie, difficult questions about £4,000 out of the overdraft, not for business purposes. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't realise or she wouldn't realise until she'd taken it out. I mm. don't think. I e, I thought Shula and Alistair had money problems after his gambling. Has that all gone away? Presumably, yes. How much did, um, how much did uh, Shula say she was going to throw into the pot here? Four. Mm. Makes Again. me jump now because they never used to mention figures when they t- on the arches. Whenever they talked about money, they never actually put a figure on it. Mm. Um, they'd call it that amount or whatever, and you'd just be screaming at the radio, "How much?" Trying to just put it in context. But yeah. now they've gone to reverse. They're like, "It's twenty-seven thousand pounds nine hundred and forty-seven pence." You know, it's just it, is that new pence? Yeah, it was a pre-decimal. Well, <laughs> the thing is though. Right. Money problems are all relative, though, aren't they? Right. Yes. Some people say they have money problems when they're down to their last half a mil. Yeah. Some people say they have money problems when they're down to their last 500 quid. Yeah. So Shula and Alistair having money problems, completely and utterly relative. And I would have thought a solid middle class couple like them, they should be able to rustle up four grand in a week. Yeah. I would have thought. Yeah. F, I am not surprised that Jill has the money as she has rent coming in from Carol Toboggan. That's very true. I had forgotten that. Yes. And G, he says there was never any chance of Kenton accepting handouts from his hated family. Well, yes, I think we could all see that coming. The, no, you don't understand. I can't do it. They all hate me. <laughs> stupid man. Oh, well, not stupid, but just... Oh, I just feel really sorry for Jolene because she can't move. It's like it's like hauling a tanker along behind you. She actually wants to get things moving to fix stuff. And he's just got the brakes on. And it's really hard work. And she's being amazingly cheerful. Good old Jolene. I don't know what it takes to actually make Jolene full on miserable. Well, if you remember, after they got married, she did go into miserable mode, wasn't she? She was always snapping and, yeah. you know, bite, biting at Kenton. Yeah, but, but she wasn't she... miserable. She was just angry. That's mm, right. Very true. Very true. But she Angry realizes... is energetic. Depressed is... Yeah, true. But she realises that something's up with Kenton yeah. in time. And so she is trying her best to be a, a supportive partner in the way that she knows how to. Yeah. You know, so. And Sean Harris said this has been oh, bugged- isn't there is isn't there a z sorry oh, are we, no oh. we've got we got we got to g that was it okay uh oh. sean harris said this has been bugging him for months he said mm. when brookfield was being flogged and they were moving up to handy hoch ruth and david were going to buy the other three out of the business they could obviously afford to do so then so what's to stop them now remortgaging the farm or whatever the equivalent is and giving kenton the money he so desperately wants mm. problem solved surely yes I don't know. This seems to be, it's, it seems to, you know, when your mood alters, depending on your, your income, your disposable income alters psychologically, depending on what mood you're in. So if you're in quite a jolly mood, an optimistic mood, you think, hey, 
this, I can afford that because I'm sure I'll have loads more money coming in. And then when you're depressed, you think, oh God, I'm not sure I can afford to buy milk. I'll just get a hundred milk carton. And I think that seems to be what's happening with Brookfield. One minute there, you know, practically bankrupt. The next minute they remembered that they live in a seven million pound house. And it just seems to sort of expand and, and contract depending on what they want. Mm. Uh, and um, I think this is Sean as well uh, where are Kate's guests going to find toilets and showers in a herbal lay <laughs> B why would a dairy manager know anything about project managing a building job well he just kind of it's because it's got a bloody title hasn't it and it enables him to wander around willy waving and not actually doing anything bloody Rob um, well I think but I, I, I don't know if I agree with that I think uh, fundamentally the link is the word manager in, in both as project manager dairy manager that yes. if you can oh, manage sorry, this is Cosmo again these were this was more of Cosmo so it wasn't so, just G we'd got we had gone on yeah okay so what are we on to it was my Q? skew with Q? uh formatting whoops all right that I think uh I, I think we talked about this before last week or the week before that Rob has many faults, but actually, um, if we take it that Charlie is no fool, and he isn't, and he is absolutely a details person, he realises that Rob is decent at his job. Not saying he's brilliant, but he's yeah. decent at his job. And he's the type of ass that could deal with a with a with a Exa- grumpy builder, exactly. isn't he? Exactly, and Bully will them be into doing uh, attention to detail, be a bit of a pedant. It's all about process. You mm. said you were going to do this and you did that, yeah. and blah blah blah. So actually, a very good dairy manager could be a very good project manager. But he wasn't a very good dairy manager because he got stuffed all his spreadsheets up, didn't he? Yeah, but he, he managed to uh, remind Charlie that the reason why uh, the fertility went down or up or sideways was because of the nonsense after the flood. Yeah, and Charlie went, "Oh yeah, yeah." Um, he also wants to know if Ian Adams' hot tub has been restored to working order. <laughs> Cosmo. And finally, if they're moving back home, how come no one else is? Well, that one was answered because there was an exchange where uh, I think it was Caroline said, oh, I wish we had your insurers, i.e. I wish uh, I wish our company that we're with was as efficient as yours and that we could be moving back home too. So they obviously must be a rarity, the fact that they're moving, they've moved back and no one else has. Hello, is that the end of the email errors. Tick comes revving up out there. Yeah. <laughs> you sure you have? He's not doing the Isle of Man thingy. Is the rally cross going on on the sit on mower outside? Yes. No. Lizzie uh, got Titcom a big one, a sit on mower thing um, last <laughs> summer, and uh, Titcom is ru- rushing around my grounds. <laughs> is that email errors? It is. All right, smashing super. Let's take a quick five and then hashtag the Archer's tweets of the last week. Hello, I'm Sarah Smith, proud sponsor of Dumpty Dum. If you want to polish up your Albion, give your optics a wipe or even mop up after your ferrets, Sarah Smith cloths are eco-friendly, reusable and washable. And, you know, a bit posh. Sarah Smith, available from Sainsbury's for the posher washer. Proud sponsors of Dumpty Dum. Fancy getting your mouth around something warm? Something comforting you can really get a firm grip on? Why not buy a Dumpty Dum mug from the shop at dumptydum.com? Goes down lovely. Lucy. Yes. 
give us your hashtag the archers tweets of the last seven days please uh if we had any ham put raise his hand please miss i thought lewis lived in julia's old room at lower loxley are he and jill going to share mm. yes good point that's another bloody person who's just sodding vanished uh peter scott said hmm wonders if i might be able to snapchat with sabrina thwaite hashtag <laughs> opera selfie <laughs> <laughs> um mjh moonbug talked about pip yes that's right bravery is exactly how i describe quitting a job after two days due to a massive sense of entitlement um susan Cassab said i am off now to puzzle over that rude word on the tea urn that so shocked jill bottom boobies poo we should be told and tweet of the week was scott matthewman <laughs> and so Pip leaves Rex to deal with his sausage alone again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beginning. Do you know what? Do you know, you know, um, Rex and Toby. Mm-hmm. There's something about them that is reminding me of uh, James Herriot and Tristan Farnan on. Um, uh, uh, um, oh, what's it called? The vet program. You know. Uh, all all creatures great and small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's kind of, you know, the reliable, boring James and then the hilarious Tristan, who's a bit of an arse, but kind of quite attractive and, you know, all that. And and um, Rex stumping along hopelessly, you know, lusting after uh, Pip, but being all Hugh Granty and he can't say it. And yes, but it's uh, I always imagine them in kind of Oxford bags and and um, uh, uh, sort of tank top, knitted woolly tank top type things. Darabee 389. Yes. Anyway, that's possibly just me. I don't know. It generally uh, isn't. No matter what bonkers things I say, someone will always then tweet, yes, I thought so too. And I think, hurrah, it's not me. I'm not entirely nuts. Well, probably I am, but they are as well. Oh, are you done? I am. Goodness. It's like a one-woman show. <sighs> <laughs> I'm knackered now. <laughs> Blooming hell loose. What? I, I tell you what, right? Every week, we just get better and better, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I reckon... I thought I'd done something week... wrong then. When you go blooming hell loose, I kind of think, oh, no, I forgot to write a bit in the script or something. No, no, I'm just saying, you know, we've got a wonderful uh, community of listeners. You know, we have these super-duper guests. You know, I reckon we've peaked. I really do. I reckon this has been peak dum-de-dum. <laughs> it's downhill from here. It can't get any better, Brilliant. can it? That's Archers it. chat, superheroes chat. you got a, a Telegraph journo. Blooming hell. We're a corking podcast. Do you think we can win an award? Yeah, probably several. Such as? Fencing panel of the year. Something like that. Do you What's think award? BAFTA do an award for podcasts? Well, I'm hastily scribbling the words BAFTA onto this piece of dowling that I just happened to have in the <laughs> <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be winging its way to Derek. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, folks, if you think we deserve an award, why don't you go on to dumdum.com and go onto our forum and post a thread saying you guys should win an award. Or also, several. 
Yeah, all, yeah, all several. Uh, and also, you can go there to see the ways in which Goddess Diva reckons that Tichy Knob must die, which is a rather funny thread. Um, and also, you can donate to Alison Siegenthaler's uh, fundraising for Mind. Um, she's done a run, uh, but you can still donate to it. And Mind is a wonderful charity. And she's also co-sponsored this show. So go there and... Uh, let forth your thoughts and feelings about the whole world of Archerdom. Um, and if you needed any other reason to go to dumdydum.com, you can go there to buy a mug or a T-shirt or something which has our logo or Lillian only spelt with one L, as somebody pointed out. <laughs> so so I am not buying a, Lil, a Team Lillian T-shirt as much as I want one because then you've got one L. So we're going to fix that at some point this week. Right now. Hmm. Uh, we do this for love, but if you want to throw some of your shekels in our direction, you can do that by going on to patreon.com, which is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, forward slash dum-de-dum, where you can support our show for approximately $2 um, every episode. Uh, you can also donate to the show by going to our site and hitting the donate button. Oh, and we'd like to thank the following for their donations in the last month. Chloe Sastry. K.R. Whitbread. Felicity Ward-Smith. Maureen Freiberger. Maggie Wood. Suzanne Hardy. Oh, sorry. I, I missed out of that, didn't I? Sorry. Lonnie J. Bahar. And, and Mrs. Sheila Snowden. Oh, we love you, Sheila. Um, Order of John Archer News. Uh, we received another email regarding the Order of the Johns. Maureen Freiberger says, I am the grandmother of John the Sixth. Do I have a title like Regent or something? We don't have that in <laughs> the colony that got away. Anyway, little Johnny Freiberger is now a little over three months old. My husband and I have started daycare for Sir John since his teacher mother started school. We were sitting on the porch swing today listening to your Dumpty Dum podcast and the Archers. It was a highlight of our very hot summery day in Iowa, USA. I'll send a photo of Sir John the Sixth if it is okay with his parents. Really enjoying your podcast and of course the Archers. Well done you. Thank you, Maureen. Uh, Maureen, have you met Donald Trump? Did you go to the Iowa State Fair? Uh, she's probably been doorstepped by all these uh, Republican politicians. Uh... Please tell us if you have been. Because, um, you know, I've got this big thing about American politics. But anyway, that is another podcast. Remember to get in contact where you can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe, which is the little red tab on our website. Uh, and also it's on your tablet, too. And it's probably on your mobile phone. It is. It's the little red tab over on the right. Just hit that and then you can just leave a voicemail message because it's awesome like that. Or you can call us on 0203 to leave us a telephone old-fashioned message if you get discombobulated by new technology and want to use a technology which has been around for about 120 years. Or you can send us um, a tweet or follow us on the Twitters uh, where we are at dum de dum or you can tweet me, but I'm so rubbish on the Twitters. I don't know really, really why you would, but if you can be bothered first, uh, I'm at Royfield. Uh, you can follow me at Lucy V Freeman. Uh, Sarah Smith at at Sarah underscore Smith. And I am Cat Brown 82 with a K. Goodness. I tell you what, you're good. Every guest we've had on, <laughs> it's always been like this massive gap. We go, well, hello, now it's you. But then they go, oh, no, is it me now? <laughs> yeah, there nearly was. Ambridge just uh, happily took a couple of inches out of my wrist with her claws oh. to make sure attention. So uh, <laughs> sharpens the mind. I'm so <laughs> Well, that's it. Another dumpy dum is is done. Um, thoughts and feelings, Cat Brown. 
on um, Lucy's performance on a on a monologue because I know you were you listened to every word of that, didn't you? <laughs> I thought it was absolutely spectacular. Which bit? <laughs> which bit? Which which joke in particular? <laughs> I need to go and have another coffee. <laughs> this is very very mean because they haven't played me the monologue yet. <laughs> Saying, no, we, we can't possibly take up more of your time instead of having lovely chats about Marvel and. Uh, <laughs> So what's next for you, Kat? I am going to uh, pick Ambridge up off my lap. This is the mm-hmm. cat rather than the entire village and spend probably approximately the next 20 minutes removing cat hair from this incredibly ill-advised choice of black jumper that I've made. <laughs> <laughs> and then toddle into town for a meeting and then go to work. Another day, another day dawns with my, my X-Men multi-genre powers could cat could i could i make a special request please could you arrange to push Gillian reynolds down the stairs so that i can have her job because it is my ideal job it has been my ideal job since i was about 12 you know i think precisely for this reason she never comes into the office because <laughs> there's a queue of people waiting to there shove her down few, the stairs. there are very few stairs at the telegraph actually i think <laughs> And I think I, I've never really seen any of the critics go anywhere near them. I think just in case somebody casually goes. Oh! <laughs> I've already attempt- lined Michael Hogan up to do it as well, but he said he can't get near her either. So it's bloody hopeless. This. <laughs> I will. I will bear that in mind. Thank you very much. And, then, and probably not do it. Yeah. For the reason. <laughs> I think they let you have podcasts in prison and that'd be very sad. <laughs> um, well, in that case, I'm just going to leave you to it. And I am going to go and make a donation to Mind, which is a spectacular charity. And I'm very, very happy that we're all supporting it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.